Let's pray. God, we are thankful again for time we have to look to your word this morning, where we know there are wonderful things for us contained in the scriptures. And so as we look to them this morning, we pray by your Holy Spirit that he would illumine the scriptures to us so we might understand them for your praise and honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Introductions are a helpful thing, aren't they? How's that for an introduction? We'll talk about introductions. But think about it. You find yourself maybe coming up to a new group of people. You don't know them. You've never met them before. And someone might introduce you to this group of people. Maybe share your name, a little bit about you, or maybe where you're from or something like that. It helps give a little context for who you are, a little bit of an idea for the people to know maybe how to relate or what you could talk about. For instance, I would say, hey, I'm Mike. I'm from Iowa. And instantly you have some thoughts about me. It gives you a little context, right? Or perhaps it's not an introduction to a group of people, but maybe it's an introduction to a book. Does anybody read the introductions to a book? You should. I know people skip over those, but you should read those. They're there for a reason, a purpose, right? There's material probably presented there that might help you with the context of the rest of the book or what follows. Maybe there's a specific reason or purpose that the author wrote the book, and you might not know otherwise unless you read that introduction. So it helps you be aware of maybe different issues that are at play later on in the ensuing chapters. The authors, they're setting the stage, if you will, for what follows. So what's all the talk about introductions for? Well, the text we're going to be looking at this morning is just that. It's an introduction. Uh, the passage we're going to be considering has been specifically written in place at the beginning of this book to help introduce the whole scope and sequence of what follows. And I'm confident many of you have read this passage, many of you know this passage, but did you know that it's really an introduction to what follows? Uh, did you know that it, it helps us understand the rest of the book if we understand this very introductory chapter? I didn't know that till recent years. And when you really do understand that, it really opens up and helps you understand what follows. And the passage I'm referring to is Psalm chapter 1. If you want to turn there with me this morning, Psalm chapter 1. And we're going to be considering these six verses that are contained in Psalm 1 this morning. Now, scholars have long held that Psalm 1 and along with Psalm 2 together serve as the introduction to the whole book of Psalms. Now, we don't have time this morning to look at chapter 2 as well, uh, so we're going to turn our attention and focus just to chapter 1. And in the first psalm, we're introduced to a, a purpose, a theme, or a context, if you will, and a helpful way to understand what unfolds in the ensuing 148 or 149 chapters. Now, psalm 1 is a wisdom psalm. So it's not a psalm of praise or lament like you might read in other psalms. It's a wisdom psalm. And you'll hear language, certainly, that's reminiscent of in the Proverbs. And you'll notice that in this psalm, we're kind of introduced to these two ways or these two paths, if you will, of life. The way of the blessed or the righteous and the way of the wicked or the ungodly. And you'll notice that there's this comparison of the two throughout the psalm. 
Well, at the very beginning of the psalm, we're met with this idea and this theme of being blessed. The psalm begins by drawing our attention to the blessed one. And that's where we're going to take our direction this morning in Psalm 1. We're going to be looking at three angles or aspects of being blessed. Three angles or aspects of being blessed. First, we'll see the pursuit of being blessed. Second, we'll see the provision of being blessed. And then third, we'll see the product of being blessed. I've never alliterated in a sermon, so I thought, why not? We'll give it a go. It's a psalm, so we'll go for the poetry stuff. So first, the pursuit of being blessed. Second, the provision of being blessed. And third, the product of being blessed. And for each one of these, we're going to actually kind of run through the entire psalm three times. Uh, I was telling Pastor Pat that I'd planned to do that, and he said, hey, you only get to preach a few times a year. You might as well, right? Three sermons in one. Give it a go. So first, the first angle or aspect of being blessed is the pursuit of being blessed. And we see this brought to our attention right at the very beginning of the psalm, Psalm 1, verse 1, blessed is the man who, we'll stop there before we continue on, blessed is the man who. It's important that we understand what it means to be blessed, what it is referring to here when we see that word blessed. You might think, well, happy, yes, but more so than that. Uh, to be blessed is to be supremely happy, to be fulfilled, to have a, a deep sense of well-being, a deep sense of joy from God's grace and favor in one's life. That's what it is to be blessed. Now, if you think about the Psalms and you think of the people of Israel coming to the book of Psalms and reading and hearing this book, and they see it from the very beginning, it says, blessed is the man. They would have some kind of idea or context for what it is to be blessed or to have this offer or potential of being blessed put before them. Think of the people of Israel after they're delivered from Egypt. God gives them his good and holy law. And he says, if you do these things, if you obey these commands, you will be blessed. If you don't do these things, if you disobey, you will be judged or cursed. And they agree and say, oh, we're going to do them most definitely. And we know how that goes for them following that. Well, here again, this, this idea of blessing is put forward and offered to you as you come to the Psalms. So the people of Israel, as they come to the Psalms, and for it to be said to be true of you that you are blessed, it follows and says, and here is what that means, you must do and what you must not do to be called and counted blessed. So undoubtedly, as we start through this, there would be people reading it and saying, well, I want to be blessed. I'm going to step out on a limb and guess that you would agree with that as well, that you would say, yes, I want that to be true of me. I would like to be described as the blessed. Well, so what must we do? What must we not do? How do we walk in a manner that would count us as blessed? And that's what we'll see here, this pursuit of blessing. The psalmist begins by talking about this blessed man and saying, here's what the blessed man does not do. Look again with me at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. 
So those who are blessed are those who are characterized as having nothing to do with the wicked, with the sinful, with the scoffers. It's almost kind of a three-step downward spiral, if you will, here. There's a distance, though, and a separation that the blessed or the righteous has from the wicked and the sinners and the scoffers. The counsel of the wicked would be those who are foolish. It's referring to their foolishness of their wickedness. And really, the the term wicked here, for us, that's kind of uh, making us think of evil things that are done. But really, it's getting at those who are ungodly. That's really who it's pointing to. So... Do you want to pursue this blessing the psalmist is saying? Well, do not walk according to the foolishness of the ungodly. Have nothing to do with them and their corrupt ways. And he says that the blessed one does not stand in the way of sinners. Again, a contrast here between the blessed and the righteous and the sinful and the ungodly. You are not to be standing alongside them, to be counted alongside them. You are to have a life that does not reflect any of those sinful ways. That's what you must do in order to be blessed, to be supremely happy, to have a deep sense of well-being. Do you want to pursue that blessing? Well, don't stand in the way of sinners. Be set apart from them. And finally, he talks about the seat of scoffers. The blessed person does not sit in the seat of scoffers. These are those who mock God. They, they boldly and defiantly mock God and his ways and his people and they enjoy it. So again, you want to pursue this counting of being blessed. Well, have nothing to do with those who openly mock God and his ways. The language here, it's, it's very strong in this negative sense that you must not do these things. In fact, the language is so strong that if you long for supreme happiness and a deep sense of well-being and favor with God, it's that you must never do any of these things. Complete and total avoidance of sin. And then the psalmist continues by saying, it's not only that you don't do those things to be blessed, but it's that you do do other things. Look with me at verse 2. He says, but his delight, the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The delight for the one who is in pursuit of blessing, is not in the ways of the world, in the ungodly, foolish, wicked ways of the world, but their delight is in the law of the Lord. This is referring here to God's instruction, His teaching, His Word given to us. It's instruction of who God is, what He has done, and what He commands us to do. And this delight... In God's instruction is all that makes the blessed one happy. It is such a delight to the blessed one that it says that he meditates on it day and night. He thinks on it. He chews on it. He recites it, memorizes it, considers it always. It's always before him. This is always and only his delight. You want to... Have blessing in this life, the psalmist says. Do you desire desire supreme happiness and a deep sense of well-being and favor with God? Will have nothing to do with the sinful ways of this world and have everything to do with God and His ways and delight in Him and His Word. The psalmist continues in this description of the blessed one in verse 3. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. With this picture of the tree here, the psalmist describes the blessed again. And this blessed one is delighting in God and his instruction so much that he is drawing from this never-ending source of God's word for its life, its sustaining life, its reward. The never-ending life-giving water of the Lord's instruction causes this blessed one we see to bear fruit in its season, to be sustained, and to have all that he does to be prosperous. Then there's this comparison between this blessed one and the wicked. In verse 4 through 6 it says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So here the psalmist is now drawing attention. If you're in pursuit of blessing, if you long to be blessed, if you long for this to be true of you, you must do these things. You must abstain from sin and the ways of this world. You must always and only delight in God and his ways like a tree that is drawing its nourishment from the the word of God for life. And in the end, the result will be that those who do not do these things will receive judgment. They will not stand in judgment, it says in verse 5. And then verse 6, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He's well acquainted with their way, and they will be safe and secure for accomplishing these things. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but this all sounds pretty terrible to me. Some might even say, this doesn't sound much like a Christian sermon, Mike. What's going on here? I'm not feeling very encouraged. I'm actually feeling pretty down about this. This pursuit of blessing. It seems all for naught, right? Don't ever have anything to do with any of these sinful, wicked ways. Oops. Always and only delight in God and His ways. I failed there as well. So is it all for naught? Is this offer, this potential of blessing, not really for us? I'll never achieve these things, you say. I'll never be counted among the blessed. Well, you see, God's law, His word... And his instruction to us acts in different ways as we read it. And one of those ways is that God's word acts as a mirror for us to see God's righteousness, his holiness, and then to see our own sinfulness and inability to live in accord with what he commands us to perfectly all the time. We see God's righteous requirements and we say, I, I can't do that. That's exactly the point. One writer says the law orders that we, after attempting to do what is ordered, and so feeling our weakness under the law, may learn to implore the help of grace. And that's what's happening here in Psalm 1. This pursuit of being blessed by doing these things, by not doing certain things. This pursuit of being blessed by works of the law will leave us only in the way of the wicked. Those who will not stand in judgment. And so seeing that, as we look to the psalm, we implore the help of grace. We look 
to none other than Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so we come to our second angle or aspect of being blessed. First, the pursuit of being blessed. And second, the provision of being blessed. As we read Psalm 1 and are left looking and longing for the help of grace, we look no further than the person and work of Jesus Christ for us. You see, Psalm 1 serves as an introduction to the whole book, yes, but Psalm 1 also, along with Psalm 2, introduces us to the blessed man, to the Messiah, to the Christ, to Jesus. I would suggest to you that this blessed man in Psalm 1 is none other than Jesus himself. Look again with me at Psalm 1 and we consider the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed man for us. Again in verse 1, what the blessed man does not do. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Only Jesus can meet those requirements. Only Jesus can be called the blessed man. He alone avoids sin in every way. He alone is the sinless one. He does not delight in the the ways of the wicked in the world. He does not walk according to the foolish and corrupt ways of the ungodly. He does not live in the way of sinners. He does not mock God in His ways. No, Jesus, He is the sinless one, the perfect one, the one who is righteous, the one who indeed came to fulfill all righteousness for us. Consider 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22 through 25. It says of Jesus, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You committed no sin. Jesus, the sinless, perfect one. Or how about Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, as we see our sinfulness, reading Psalm 1, we implore the help of grace and where do we find this grace? But in the sinless, perfect, righteous Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then continuing in Psalm 1, verse 2, what The blessed man does do, but his delight, verse 2, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. It's not only what Jesus did not do by being sinless, but what he positively did do for us. The the one who alone, it could be said, delighted in God and his law and his ways always. You see, Jesus came under the law so that he might redeem us from the curse of the law as the sinless one, the righteous one, the perfect law keeper for us. First John 2 says, But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
And then we see the imagery again in verse 3 of Psalm 1 of the blessed one like a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Who can it be said to be true of them, to be perfectly yielding fruit in season? Who can it be said to be true that their leaf never withers? Who prospers or brings everything to completion, the right end? Again, it's the blessed man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verses 4 through 6. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. See, Jesus came in flesh so that he might represent us, that he might save his people from their sins. He lived for us. He died for us. And not only that, he was raised for us. And he's entered heaven for us. In Psalm 1, the wicked, it says they will not stand. They will not be counted in the congregation of the righteous. They will not stand and withstand the judgment. And Jesus was crucified on the cross, bearing the guilt and punishment for those who would believe. But you see, Jesus Christ was sinless. He's righteous. And in the resurrection, when Jesus was raised from the dead, Jesus is declared to be righteous, to, declared to be the one who perfectly and obediently kept all of God's law. He fulfilled all righteousness. He did exactly as he said he would do to fulfill all righteousness for us. So not only did he not sin, but he was not worthy of death because he was perfectly righteous. And so he was raised from the dead. And this is for us. We read in Romans 4, verse 25, about Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Well, as the resurrected one, then Jesus ascended. And as I mentioned, he entered heaven for us. You consider in Psalm 1 when it says that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, this promise of the Lord offering salvation and knowing the way of the righteous, that they will be kept secure. And we find that ultimately that is through the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed man, the righteous one. In Hebrews 6, it says of Jesus, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. You see, Jesus is the blessed man put forward in Psalm 1. He alone is the spotless lamb, the righteous lawkeeper, the one who has lived and died and was raised and who's ascended for those who would believe in him. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man, the man Jesus Christ for you. The good news is, for those who come to Psalm 1 and say, I want to be counted as the blessed. I want to be counted as the righteous. I want my life to be on the way of the righteous, not the way of the wicked. And you're met with your own sinfulness. And you implore the help of grace. The good news is that Jesus has earned the blessing. He has earned the title of the blessed 
for you. And he provides that for you by grace through faith in him alone. Favor with God, to have peace with God. Supreme joy and a deep sense of well-being. All these blessings, all these benefits are ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only through him, not through a pursuit, but through what is provided through Jesus Christ. So get this, Jesus as the blessed man, for all who are united by faith to Jesus, all these things are true of you as well. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and are united to him by faith, all of these things are true of you as well. Because we are in Christ. Not because of anything we have done. Not because of anything we will do. But because of Jesus Christ and his work, perfect work, credited to your account. If you remember I said earlier that Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together are this introduction to the whole book of Psalms. Well, in Psalm 2, which we don't have time to go over, we're further introduced to the Messiah, to the King that has been installed, to the Christ, to Jesus. And in the Psalms and other places in Scripture, at times you see these bookends put at the beginning of a passage, at the end of a passage, to help you see that they all go together. Look at the end of Psalm 2, if you will. Psalm 2, verse 12, where it says, Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. You long for this blessing to be counted among the righteous and the godly? Blessed are all who take refuge in Him, because He alone is where you will find Salvation, hope, perfect righteousness by faith in him alone. So quit quit the pursuit of blessing on your own works and merit. You will never attain to it. But Jesus Christ the righteous has done it for you. And by faith and trust in him, by taking refuge in him, you are united with him and you are blessed. You are righteous because of what he has done. And so then finally, We come to a third aspect and angle of being blessed. We have the pursuit of being blessed, the provision of being blessed, and finally, the product of being blessed. Having felt that full weight of guilt when we read God's law and see it here in Psalm 1, we're reminded again of the grace that is freely found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the blessed man who has earned salvation and blessing for us. And now for those who are in Christ, we live in gratitude. Now we have a new status as those who belong to him because of what he has done and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we can see this product of being blessed. Now product is maybe not the best word here, but it went with the peas and the blessing But really what I'm getting at here is it's this response of the Christian who is secure in Christ. What it produces, this being blessed, to to have that be true of you in Christ. Now what does that produce in you? It causes you to be grateful, to have gratitude because of Christ. So the question then is, I'm in Christ, how then shall I live? 
And this is how we look at Psalm 1 now in Christ. It's completely different now. The law, you see, is no longer a mirror for us reflecting our sin and our being on the path of the ungodly. But now the, the words of instruction here we see are a guide to us along the way. As we read later in the Psalms in Psalm, Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So now Psalm 1 really starts to take shape and make sense as the introduction to this whole book of Psalms. You see, when the Christian comes to the book of Psalms, to this book of prayers and songs, cries, shouts of joy, thanksgiving and praise, and so much more, you see that this book is filled with experiences and emotions and things that the Christian experiences along the way in life. And so now as you come to this, united to Christ by faith, you have God's instruction to you through these songs, through these prayers. It's God's grace to us to strengthen us, to encourage us, and to equip us on the way of salvation. It gives words to your suffering. It gives words to your pain and trial. It gives words to your joy and your gladness, to your praise and adoration to the Lord for who He is and what He has done. And so, from the beginning of Psalm 1, as you're united to Christ, you have an encouragement to not delight in the things of this world, but delight in God and His ways, His instruction. Find refuge, it's saying, in the King, in the Messiah, in the blessed man, Jesus Christ. So let's look again at Psalm 1 as a guide and a grace to us in the Christian life to help us on our way to assure salvation. We see again the description of the blessed man from the beginning of the psalm in verse 1. But keep in mind, this is not, hey, you want to be blessed, you must do these things. But it is, you are blessed in Jesus Christ, now do these things. It says, Psalm 1, one, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Well, the blessed in Christ avoid sin. Right? We see this even all throughout of Scripture. They hate sin. They, they, they know that sin no longer rules and reigns in them. It no longer has dominion over them. We read in Romans chapter 6. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're in Christ. You are a new creation. You're a slave to righteousness. That you might walk in newness of life. So encouragement along the way to have nothing to do with the ways of the world and the ungodly. Do not delight in their wicked and evil schemes, their mocking and their taunts. The sinful way that they live. This is like the Words we see often in the New Testament when Paul says to put off the old man or the sinful ways and to put on the new. It's the fruit of the Spirit in our life, the work of the Spirit in us to produce good fruit. I think often of Ephesians chapter 2 where we've been saved by grace through faith. It's not of our own doing. And then it says in verse 10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He's for, He's made these good works for us beforehand so that we would walk in them, so that we might do these things out of gratitude for what He has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, 
We're citizens of heaven. We are the blessed. We are the righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. So start acting like it, right? Be grateful. Be overcome with joy for the secure hope that is ours in Christ. And then he goes on, verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. See, the encouragement is rather than delighting in the ways of the ungodly and their schemes and what they're about, the righteous, the godly, those who are in Christ, the Messiah, they will delight in the Lord and in his instruction. Remember I said it's this instruction encompasses who God is. You're delighting in who he is. It encompasses what he has done for us. You're delighting in the hope that is ours in Christ, delighting in the gospel. And it says you so delight in this law and who God is, what he has done for us, that you meditate on it day and night. This meditation, you know, sometimes people wonder what exactly that is. The word there is actually pretty fascinating. It's to murmur or to moan or growl even. I'm not suggesting that we do that. In fact, don't walk around growling. That would be awkward for everybody. But it's an there's this emphasis on this audible nature of this meditation. You see, it's almost like you're trying to remind yourself always and constantly of God's word and his ways and who he is and what he has done for you. I think often of when I'm trying to get instructions to go somewhere and I get the instructions and I walk away, I say, okay, take a left, take a right, then go straight. You know, you're kind of reminding yourself, right? So you don't forget. You keep it ever before you. You're constantly considering it, chewing on it, keeping it before you so that you might... Enjoy God and the blessings that are ours in Christ and live in gratitude toward Him. Consider what the psalmist says again in Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we delight in His instruction to us. We delight in who He is. And we delight in what He has done for us. Will we do this perfectly, always, all the time, day and night? No. But remember, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then look at this imagery of the tree in verse 3 that is now true of us in Christ. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. You see this result of being the blessed of belonging to God in Christ. It says you are like a tree that has been planted by streams of water. Notice you've been planted. There's, there's purpose and intent there in this planting. Some say it actually has the, the notion of being transplanted, if you will, from the dry, parched ground that has no water to that which is surrounded, always immersed, continually being able to drink from the life-giving water all around Colossians, it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see that God has planted us in Christ by streams of water. His word to nourish and to fill and to feed. And it's a never-ending supply. You're surrounded. And it says, the result, you bear fruit. Bearing fruit in season and the leaf then does not wither. You are sanctified, growing into the image and likeness of Christ. As you behold the Lord Jesus Christ, you become like him. 
continually growing into his image. So for those who are in Christ, the blessed, the righteous, we are planted, we are provided for, we are protected. This is we are prospering. It's not this prospering that we might think of. We always think of prospering now as like this monetary prospering, health, wealth, prosperity type of thing. That's not what it's getting at here. It's this this right completion, what would be the rightful intended ending. We come to that ending of salvation because we are in Christ. And then he says, rounding it out in verses 4 through 6, in that comparison of the way the wicked and the righteous and their end result The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here he draws attention again to the wicked. It says, not so the wicked, not so. They are like chaff. It's that image of the chaff compared to that planted tree that is rooted in the life-giving water of the word of Christ. But this chaff is that which is useless. It just blows away. It's that image of the person with the winnowing fork that picks it up, throws, and the chaff just blows away. It's useless, not needed. It's nothing in the end. He said, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous in verse 6. He is well acquainted with us in our lives. He is ever present and oversees all aspects of our life on the road to our eternal home in heaven with him. So we have confidence to know that in the end we will stand, not because of anything we have done, but because of Jesus Christ, the righteous. Our standing is in him. In him alone. So as we come to this book of Psalms and we're introduced with this idea and this possibility of being blessed. Well, in pursuit of that blessing, you come to see your sin, your guilt, and your need for Christ. And so we look to Christ. We implore the help of grace, the blessed man, the one who alone has earned our salvation our blessing through his life, death, and resurrection for us. And so by faith in him and him alone, we are united to him. And all the blessings, all the benefits that are Christ's are now ours. And now we can seek to live in gratitude by the power of the Spirit in us, delighting in the Lord and his instruction as we live on the way of righteousness. Blessed are all who take refuge In him, it says, we delight in him, not to earn that blessing, but because we are blessed, we can delight in him and his ways. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for the work of Christ, our great Savior and Redeemer. We are thankful that as we come to the book of Psalms, we can see this encouragement that while there are two ways of this life, the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous, It is because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection that we can be counted as the righteous by faith and trust in him and what he has done for us. Lord, we're thankful then that we have before us your instruction, your word that can encourage us and equip us along the way. Particularly in the book of Psalms, 
Lord, we're thankful for the prayers and the cries and the laments and the praise that we see throughout the book. As we undoubtedly go through this life experiencing so many different trials, so many different joys, suffering, rejoicings, Lord, we're thankful that we have your word to guide us along the way. How can we pray in these ways? How can we sing to you in these different times? Lord, thank you for this song book, this prayer book, your word of instruction to us in the book of songs. But not only that, but the entirety of the whole of scripture. Lord, may we be encouraged that our hope lies not in ourselves and what we have done and what we will do, but our hope lies and is secure in the personal work of Jesus Christ, who has entered behind the curtain for us, a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. May our hearts be filled with gratitude. May we live in worship to honor and please you, for you alone are worthy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.